Praise the Lord. Hey, great to see you. Let me remind you, we've got more space in Sunday morning first service at 9 and Saturday night at 6 o'clock. But next week, we're starting a brand new series. We're kicking off the fall, and the new series is called Uncharted. Uh, it's about the Holy Spirit as our guide for navigating life. Uh, this morning, I had intended to finish the book of James, but we had an air conditioner go out yesterday, and it's getting hot, so I'm going to preach about hell this morning. And uh, it could well get hotter. Nah, just teasing. Uh, but seriously, we are going to finish the book of James. Uh, James is a book about God's wisdom for everyday life. I call it Street Smarts because let me know, if you do God's way, if you live God's way, you'll have a better life. Um, this morning, I'm going to look at four different topics that James brings to us. The first one is a warning, and it challenges us on many levels, but it's a warning to what he's going to call rich oppressors. We'll unpack that. He'll talk about patience when you're in a trial or when you're suffering. Uh, we'll talk about our prayer life and how we can pray with power, specifically prayer for those that are sick. And lastly, we'll talk about God's desire to restore those that have fallen away from Him. Uh, let's begin. James chapter 5, verse 1, uh, this warning to rich oppress oppressors. He says, "'Come now, or listen to me, you who are rich.'" Now, I want to suggest to you, all of us are rich. If you were to ask me if I was uh, who I think rich people are, I'd say someone that's got more than me. Come on. Someone that has a bigger house, a bigger car, more money, whatever the case is. But if you compare us to most of the world, you know, even Christians or even people that live at the poverty level in America are more well-off, are richer than 75 to 80% of the people in the world. So in a very real way, this speaks to all of us. It's not the first time James talked to, uh, about the issue of riches and, and the potential damage they could have. Uh, James is not in any way condemning rich people, but he's warning us that, uh, that, that wealth, uh, getting wealth, keeping it, can make us act in unchristian ways. And this is what to listen to. Again, money, wealth, material possessions are not bad, but they can cause us to do things that are, that, are, that are detrimental for our spiritual life. Well, here's what he says. He says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. <laughs> now, I've never connected riches with miseries or judgment like that, but he is. And it's worth a listen. And he's going to give us four different reasons of, of why this is true. The first one, he says, your riches have rotted. And your garments are moth-eaten. Now, if you've got wool sweaters and maybe you keep them in a, in, in a special closet, well, how me know if you open that closet after the summer, if there's moths in there, they're full of holes. They're no good. If you try to, for example, store something, it could be as simple as a loaf of bread. Uh, you know, you got a good nine-grain, you know, dark wheat, whole-grain loaf of bread, and you put it on the counter or even in the refrigerator, well, how me know in a few days it's going to be moldy. And this is what can happen uh, to our riches. Uh, your riches have rotted, your garments are marthy, your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion's evidence against you. Now, here's the reason. You've laid up treasure in the last days. You've hoarded what God has given you rather than receiving for yourself and being a blessing to others. Now, we'll talk more about that. But the second thing he did says is you, the wages of the laborers, in other words, people that you are responsible to pay for something, You've kept by, back by fraud or deception. We've come to call it a good deal in America today or just doing what I have to do to get ahead. He said, these people that you owe are crying out against you and it has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In other words, God's listening. 
Number three, you lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And lastly, this one's hard to believe, you've condemned and murdered a righteous person or an innocent person. They don't even resist you. Uh, Sadly, even our court system today, the justice system is not always fair, but oftentimes the person with the best lawyer or the most money will end up winning. And this is what he's talking about. But again, he's not condemning rich people, but he's warning us that getting and keeping money can cause us to act in unchristian ways. Now, let's just learn something from this, some application. Why in the world were these miseries coming? Why was judgment coming? Well, the first one in verse 2 and 3, they were hoarding possessions and they didn't use their money to help other people. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. How many know that, well, first of all, let me ask you this question. How many would like to be a little richer than you are today? Let me see your hand here. The rest of you liars, come on now. You you think about it all the time. If it's a birthday card, come on, you hope there's something in it. Whatever it may be, uh, we, have, we made a little boo-boo on some of the teacher's cards, and some got two and some got none. Well, how many know? I would like to get the one that had two. I mean, we're just almost a desire in all of our lives. Well, there's nothing wrong with, with aspiring for wealth. The Bible actually says that God gives us the ability, Deuteronomy, He gives us the ability to obtain wealth. And it's even a proof of his, com- of his covenant. Scripture says, God, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health. So it's not am I, uh, that there is some uh, 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 holiness in being poor, but rather it's a sense of be careful that my money doesn't cause me to make foolish decisions. And if I could illustrate this idea of hoarding this way, imagine when God blesses you, it's like coming in the front door of your house. And you can do one or two, one or two things with the blessings that come in your house. You can use them as we rightly should. We can enjoy them. We can be blessed. But also we can open the back door. And when there's need, somebody knocking on the back door that needs help, we can send some through. As opposed to just keeping everything and just stacking it up in the house just in case I need it or want to have a little bit more. Jesus told us something very strong about this. Jesus said in Matthew 19, I tell you the truth, it is very... See, when I do that, I'm not, you know, my hearing aid hadn't quit. I, I want you to tell me what the Scripture says. It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this has nothing to do with faith, but it simply has to do with the power of possessions and wealth to drive us away from God. Uh, uh, let's look at the second one, verse 4. They didn't pay people who worked for them. Now, this is kind of an interesting Scripture Uh, The wages of the laborers which you kept back by fraud are crying against you, and the Lord is heard. Now, this word fraud, it means deception, to gain an advantage, stealing wages that's due the workers. Deuteronomy 24, uh, Scripture says you shall give him his wages on the same day, for he's poor and counts on it. Now, this is not very common in America. We rarely pay people every day unless it's a one-time service. Usually our pay is at the end of the week. But I remember a number of years ago I was in Mexico and we were working on a a, a rehab center with a church attached to it on a poor street. And every day I was working on the roof and, and every day this woman would come by and I would watch her go to this little store. And the store was probably like three sections of the stage. It was very small And she'd go to the counter, and every day she'd walk back with a a little baggie with beans in it, a baggie with rice and a few tortillas. And I had no clue what was happening until Brother Larry told me. He said, they don't make any money. They just make a a little bit of change, just enough money to go and buy food for that day. 
Well, in that context, he's saying there's people that you rightly owe or that you have the ability to help, but you're not doing it. For whatever reason, they were stealing from these people. And I've been meditating on this because most of us don't, don't have this direct uh, uh, application in our life. But this week, I, w- I was home one day, and I got a, a knock on the door. Actually, a truck drove up, and it was the Kirby vacuum cleaner man. Now, I didn't need a vacuum cleaner. We've got tile floors, but we've got some area rugs. And he said, hey, look, we'll give you this you know, free little bottle here, a spot cleaner, and uh, we'll just clean a rug for nothing. I said, no, look, I'm not going to buy one. He said, that's okay. Just let us try it. I said, well, okay. Well, the next thing I know, he sends one of his associates in, and this poor person, you could just tell, they're struggling. And as they're struggling washing my floor, I'm thinking, no, I don't owe this person anything. I told them I wasn't going to buy it, but I felt I had a moral responsibility to help the person that was cleaning the rugs. Are you with me today? Because they weren't the rich salesman that was in charge. They were someone that I knew was in need. So I paid them. I didn't buy the vacuum, but I paid that person because I could. Are, Are you with me today? So I want to encourage you to think about this when it comes to whether it's someone that works for tips or someone that's struggling, someone that's trying to live life, if I have the ability to help them, I believe that we should. Now, the third thing they warned about is particularly cumbersome and troublesome for me because he said that they used all their money for luxury and self-indulgence, which implied they ignored the poor and needy and the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, a very serious warning to us because our culture is all about fun and pleasure. And how many know it's easy to get caught up? And before we know it, we spend everything we have on fun and pleasure. Come on, on the newest turkey decoy, the newest duck decoy, the newest gadget in life. And before I know it, I don't have anything to open my hands or to bring to the back door to a person in need. Jesus told us this story, Luke 16. Jesus said there's a certain man who was splendidly clothed in purple. And he lived each day in luxury. In other words, we're describing the epitome of wealth And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus longed for scraps that fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, when I was a boy, we would would feed our our, our pets from the the table. Uh, In other words, we'd have, whether it was a fat piece of meat or whether it was some extra cornbread or whatever it was, we had a lot of dogs. We lived in the country, and we just fed them. Well, if you can imagine Lazarus being so hungry... He wished he could have eaten with the dogs. And this is the picture. And apparently this rich man totally ignored the cry of the poor. Finally, verse 22, the poor man died. He's carried by angels to sit beside Abraham. It's called Abraham's bosom or paradise. It's the place where people died that went in the Old Testament at a heavenly banquet. The rich man also died, but he's in a different place. He's in torment. And he sees Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, but Lazarus had nothing. So now he's being comforted and you're in anguish. Now that's not suggest that you can buy your way into heaven by helping the poor. But what it is saying is, is it's bringing to our attention that when we are followers of Christ, let me know we act in Christian ways. And in this particular case, we don't just spend it all on ourselves and let the dogs eat the rest, but we're aware of the needs of other people, come on now, and the advancement of God's kingdom. And this is where they were missing it, and they would do whatever they had to to get and keep what they had. I mean, uncontrolled greed will make us do things that we'll regret. 
Now, let me give you kind of an antidote. It's what I believe is the, is the most balanced scripture in the New Testament on our material world. Uh, listen to what it says, 1 Timothy 6, 17, because again, James is correcting the problem of the behavior of some. But Timothy says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money because it's so unreliable. But listen, your trust should be in God. And I want you to say this next phrase with me. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now listen, don't ever let anyone make you feel guilty if you're able to buy or do something nice because of God's blessing. Come on, let me give you an amen now. Don't ever feel guilty if you're able to buy something new, something nice, something better. Don't ever let yourself be brought into that. But, but the Scripture doesn't stop there. And here's where the balancing act comes into play. He says, you're gonna, God's going to bless you. You can enjoy it. But tell them to use their money to do good. Be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So here's the balance that we're looking for. God blesses us. We have a, a, a right to enjoy it. It's the blessing of the Lord. But we also want to do good with our money by being generous and helping people. Say, so praise the Lord. Jesus summarized it up in Matthew 6 when he said, Store your treasures in heaven where they can't be destroyed by moths or rust and thieves can't break in and steal them. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, he shifts gears, verse 7. This second topic under discussion has to do with patience in trials or suffering. Now, I've never really suffered as a Christian. I read just this week in North Korea. It's been in the headlines a lot. Actually, it was the headlines again today. Supposedly, uh, South Korea and America is supposed to do a big military exercise tomorrow. And uh, uh, the, the leader of North Korea is saying, you do, I'm going to wipe you out. I mean, it's, it's a little bit scary out there, but I read this week that there are up to 70,000 Christians languishing in prisons in North Korea. Their nation is one that, that if you don't believe that their little emperor dictator is God, they'll just throw you in jail. I mean, you know, that was the problem in the, in the biblical era. When we use the phrase, Jesus is Lord, well, in the Roman era, Caesar was Lord. That's how you expressed your allegiance to the empire, the state, to the government, and if you said Jesus is Lord, you're clashing against the powers that be. Now, this is what he's talking about today as Christians that in some way experience a trial or suffering for their faith. And the first word he says was, be patient. Now, how many like microwaves that do things quick? I get upset at my microwave if I put some soup in there for a minute and I take it out and it's cold. Come on now. I know you don't have any. You're not like that at all. Uh, I'm standing there waiting for a two-minute popcorn. I mean, we just we want it like that, but the Scripture says, be patient. Why? And, or how long? Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Patient until it receives the early and latter rains. One of my favorite parts of the summer is, is watermelons. And uh, I, I, I found a, a stand on uh, Arkansas Boulevard by Jefferson... And there was this big old watermelon. I said, give me a big one. Put it in the back of the car. And, uh, but I guarantee you, he didn't just put the seed in the ground one day and the next day go out and put it in his truck and come over and sell it to me. He put the seed in the ground and he had to water it, weed it, fertilize it, and wait for three or four months until it was ready. Well, this is exactly what's saying. When the farmer puts a seed in the ground, he's looking for watermelon. 
When you and I are being pressured for some way because of our faith, Jesus is coming back. Come on now. Just as certainly as that watermelon is going to be ready. And that gives you courage and confidence to keep going. He said it again. Be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish our heart. What is this? It's a mindset. It's a mindset to face persecution or suffering as a believer. Because my friends, I believe it's coming our way in America And if I could digress just a minute, maybe make an application from this idea of patience into our culture. Uh, This past week or so, we've watched again hatred, violence, and racism across our nation. Hatred and violence, and we're just like clashing as American people. Let me be unequivocally clear. I am opposed to all violence, hatred, and racism. Let me say it again. As a Christian, I am opposed to all acts of violence and hatred and racism in our nation. I mean, no, we're peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. And I think one of the greatest testimonies we offer a watching world is the diversity of our church. I mean, the world is trying to force us to get along. But as Christians, come on now, we relate to one another because of our shared humanity and our shared Savior. Now, let me give you... A a prophetic picture of America. Uh, 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 Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I want you to think just a minute in terms of the Bible as a moral code. Not too many years ago, the Bible, the Ten Commandments that represented God's Word were in our public schools. They were in our neighborhoods. They were in community centers. They were in our churches. It was as if God's standards was what we strove for as a nation. And it even affected us to the degree that not too many years ago, we had laws that retail stores were closed on Sunday to honor the Lord's Day. Uh, How many like Chick-fil-A? Me too, but you can't like it on Sunday. So why did Truman Cathy years ago decide, I'm not going to make money on Sunday. I'm going to rest. I'm going to give my employees a day of rest, and uh, everybody can go home and cook dinner for themselves. Why did he do that? He did it because he was honoring God's Word. Now, that's no longer a part of our society. And in our culture today, there's a new definition of what's right and what's wrong. And the prevailing cultural definition often clashes with the Bible. Again, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. The book of Judges 21-25 said everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now think just a minute. You as a Christian with a Christian worldview, you look at the world, you look at television, you listen to Hollywood. I read an article this week about how most people are appalled by the cursing in the movies, yet they just ramp it up. Even as this year in Hollywood, they're down, I think, 12% in terms of what they're providing for us. But it's almost like they don't care. Now, here's, here's what I'd like to make application. I'm concerned that what I'm going to call the cultural mob, they have a man-centered morality. In other words, their search for right and wrong is not found in the Bible, but it's found in other ways and other places. They're making it up as they go. So how will I respond as a Christian? How will you respond if you're one day demonized by our culture simply because you hold basic biblical beliefs? If you're demonized in the science classroom because you believe in an intelligent designer, if if you are demonized because you hold to the traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman, if you're called a hater because you believe in biblical morality, if you're called a hater because you believe in a biblical view of gender, 
My friends, it's coming and it's upon us. Um, I read an article. It was actually uh, uh, from CNN, but it was in the Washington Times. And it said mainstream conservative groups are alarmed because they've been found on a hate map from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Southern Poverty Law Center. They're a, quote, progressive group, funded millions of dollars, and they've come up with a system of deciding who are hate groups in America and who are not, who's right, who's wrong. It didn't surprise me that on that group, in, on that map in New Boston, Texas, they have a Ku Klux Klan group, and that was on the hate map. It didn't surprise me too much. Right here in Texarkana, I looked, and I saw that there was a, a, a group called uh, the Black Separatist Nation of Islam. Right here in Texarkana, they were on the hate map. But here's what surprised me. The Family Research Council, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the American Family Association, Liberty Council, all Christian groups, Christian legal groups, Christian education groups that simply try to promote a biblical morality that don't do marches, that don't burn buildings, that don't cause riots, but simply say God's word, whether it's marriage or morality or anything else, and now the world has said, you're a hater. You'll lose your job, you'll lose your business. The mob. So, what are, so is it just possible that one day these verses in James could speak to us more clearly? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. To be patient means to keep on living for Jesus, keep on doing right until Jesus comes again. The Bible tells us if you could get yourself caught in this dilemma, Ephesians 4.15, it says, Speak the truth in love. We're not a group of bigots. We're not speaking down to people. We're not haters. We don't think we're better than people. But I love people enough to tell them the truth. And this is what must be our attitude, one of love, but our courage, one of speaking the truth. Even if we've got to wait a long time, how many know that seed's going to turn into a watermelon? And one day, Jesus is coming back. Now, in case you didn't know that, let me remind you what Jesus himself uh, uh, was recorded about him in Acts chapter 1. He's been crucified. He rose from the dead. And now he's literally being ascended back into heaven. But listen to what the Scripture says. Jesus is going. All the disciples are looking in the sky and suddenly two men wearing white clothes stood beside them. Who do you think they were? They were angels. And the angels said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking in the sky? Jesus, who you saw taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go. So, my friends, that is our blessed hope. And if you have to face some kind of trial or difficulty, let me tell you, friends, sooner or later it will be over. One day Jesus will come back, and until that day, let us be faithful unto him. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, let's move along to the third portion about our prayer life and how our prayer can have power, not just a weak petition. Verse 13, it asks the question, is, is anyone suffering? I don't need the Bible to tell me the next verse. <laughs> Let him pray. Uh, how many know when we're in trouble, we do call out to God, and that's a good thing. But it's this next verse that I need to be mindful of. Is anyone cheerful? Are they happy? Then let him sing praise. Which simply means, this is what I often neglect. Uh, I, 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 my life it has so much happiness in it that if I'm not careful, I'll get used to it and forget to say thank you to the Lord. 
Whether it's the beauty of the flowers that you see blooming, the sun coming up, the rain coming from heaven, come on, the fact that your spouse and you live through the night, you're alive, uh, there's food on your table, there's a car that you drive. How many know God is a good, good God? And saying thanks to Him, we don't ever want to forget. Now, look at verse 14. Um, very important in the life of, uh, of the Christian. Is anyone among you sick? This sickness, many, some commentators tell us it's not just physical sickness, but it includes a generic word being weak, which could mean emotional, it could mean psychological, it's very broad, it just could be tired. But if you're sick, if you're troubled, if you're weak, call for the elders of the church, these are the spiritual leaders, and ask these leaders to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This olive oil is not curative in and of itself, but it is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is an act which is called, verse 15, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It's the Greek word sozo. He will make them well, and the Lord will raise him up. And then an interesting verse, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now, the Bible teaches that certainly not all uh, sickness is caused by sin, but some is. Some sickness has a, has a spiritual root. In 1 Corinthians 11, the disciples were warned that many were weak, sick, and dying because they failed to discern the Lord's body during communion. So some sickness is, but he has a solution for it. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. Now, uh, physical healing was a significant part of the ministry of the early church. And I read these scriptures today not to answer every question that could be about prayer and sickness, but to hopefully strengthen your faith a little bit, to hopefully to cause you to believe in God when things seem difficult and we don't seem to get better. Uh, let me give you real quickly to show that uh, everyone certainly agrees that the early 12 apostles were used to heal the sick. But did you know there were also a group of 70 disciples Jesus sent out with the same command? And then there are verses for all of us to believe that the Lord would use us to have healing hands. Let me read the scriptures. The first one for the original 12 apostles, they went out, and what does it say, verse 13? They anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. When you come to our altar for prayer, uh, someone came to me this morning, and, uh, and, they, and, and it was a serious problem. It was, it was a tumor. And uh, how many know that's, that'll get your attention? Well, I got the oil. Uh, grateful for doctors. You know, she's going, she knows what the plans are, but the first thing she did was come to the house of the Lord and said, I want to be anointed with oil. Come on. I want to ask God to do a miracle in my life. Well, this is why. Not only was it the original 12 disciples, but the 70 disciples, Jesus sent them out and he said, heal the sick. And then to all believers, that's all of us included, Jesus said this in Mark 16, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, They'll lay ha their hands on the sick and they'll recover. You just read in the book of James 5.16, pray for one another. That's all of us, so we may be healed. 1 Corinthians 12.9 talks about gifts of healing that the Holy Spirit gives so that people might be healed. Now, he closes this little section in verse 16 where he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. How many people are righteous in this room? How many Christians? Let me see your hand here. Now, that's not a trick question. How many know it is the blood of Christ that makes me righteous? The Bible says my own righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, we're called to live a righteous life, 
But I cannot do enough to be made righteous in God's sight. That's why I'm a sinner in need of the grace of God. But listen, the Bible says our prayer has great power as it is working. And this is a key thing because I want my prayers to be answered like I do the popcorn. One of my greatest burdens in prayer, uh, I I pray for my my dad and my brother. They're, They're farmers in Mississippi. They don't have irrigation. And long about August, I asked them, I said, how's it going? You know, you need some... I need some rain pretty bad. If I don't get some rain, this if I don't get some rain, and I pray and seek the Lord, and I call back after I watch weather.com, and if it didn't rain, something wilts inside me. Now I can just turn on the garden hose and water my little plantation. Are you understand today? My little my little farm or whatever I've got there, you know, a little garden and some pla- and some plants, but they can't. And it is a battle sometimes because sometimes prayer has to work. Prayer has to fight for a time and a season. Uh, We're given an example, verse 17, of Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours. Now, the great prophet that stood on Mount Carmel, the Bible says he's just like us, which probably means he didn't know if the prayer would be answered. It was hard to keep on praying. Come on, just like us today. If If I've prayed before and it didn't work, why should I keep on praying? Well, he said this, his nature was just like ours, but he prayed fervently, that's a key thing there, fervently that it might not rain. How many know when someone on Facebook says, pray for me, it means more than just hitting the like button? Sure it does. It means turning it off and taking some time. But notice it said he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for 42 months it didn't rain, but he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. Now... I wish I could tell you why all prayers weren't answered. I wish I could tell you why all sick people weren't healed, and I don't know. I cannot tell you why when my wife battled breast cancer, why she had to go through with a surgeon when this verse is here. But can I tell you this, friends? I've chosen to let verses like this motivate me to continue to pray no matter what. Come on. I'm grateful for doctors in their care, doctors, physicians, uh, 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 the people in the, in the pharmacy industry that have developed a, an ability to be able to target different diseases in our bodies. Thank God what medical science has given to us. But they've just unlocked what God, has been hidden in God's creation. The same solutions that they're coming up with today were hidden, come on, after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And I'm grateful for that. But the Bible, when we call for the elders, it doesn't mean you can't go to the doctor. It just means that ground your search for healing, come on, to the mercy of God and to the grace of God and let your faith remain strong and let your confidence be in Him, come on, and Him and Him first. Come on, He's the one that is a prayer-answering God. Give Him a good, a good hand this morning. Let let me show you a little quick testimony of a friend of mine. I've known this man a number of years. His name is Keith Green, and uh, he's pastored, and he's a businessman in Dallas. And I talked to him last week. He had a little medical crisis, and uh, I think this will encourage you. Hello, Texarkana. My name is Keith Green from Dallas, Texas. Last October, I went to see the doctor for our physical exam. Afterwards, he contacted me to let me know that they had determined that I had cancer in my left jaw and that they were concerned that it was in my lymph nodes and so they wanted to do surgery right away. They indicated it would be an all-day surgery and I consented to do so. Afterwards I started contacting my ministry friends and church friends and asking them to pray. Many of them asked the Lord for a miracle so that during pre-op that they would learn 
that there was no cancer present and that I would not need surgery at all. The morning of the surgery, I arrived early to meet with the three surgeons and the nursing team who was going to perform the procedure. They did the pre-op exam and sure enough, there was no cancer present. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The stories that you have read about in the Bible where he healed people, they're true. And I am living proof. I hope you'll bring your need to Jesus today because you can trust him. You really can. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I want to close with verse 16. It's the last portion in James. But he says these words in verse 16. James says, oh, I'm sorry, verse 19, about restoring the one who has fallen away. And here he's talking about something that if it's not happened to you, it could well happen to you. I know there's been times of my life where I was just kind of lost hope in God. A prayer wasn't answered or whatever. But my heart kind of slid from the Lord. Well, verse 19, James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, how many know we can wander for many reasons? We can wander because of disappointment. I, I, I know when I was in my 20s, I, I, just, I, I prayed about something and just was absolutely sure it was going to happen. had all the faith I knew how to muster and it didn't. And I just kind of gave up on God for a few weeks. I didn't become worldly and I didn't go crazy, but something died inside we're told today statistically that up to 70% of kids that leave high school youth groups will no longer believe in God after they leave college. They lose their faith. So James says, if you wander from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a, a sinner from his wandering. Now, he adds another dimension. I mean, many people are pulled back into the world. Many people are pulled out of their walk with God because of an affair. Many people get tangled in temptation. And this seems to be a primary focus. But someone falls into sin, and if you reach back and bring that person back to the household of faith, the Bible says that you will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Well, ultimately, death is it, that, that, the reason people die is because of sin. But how many know participation in some sins will cause your death to come quicker? When you walk away from God and defy God, how many know and His blessing lifts off of your life, it's going to be a little harder to live the rest of your life. But here's the message that He gives us as we close this morning. When someone falls away from God, reach out to them. Not in with being judgmental, not being bigoted, not being in some sense I'm better than you but reach out to someone that God still loves and cares about and they need to be restored just like you and I would need to be restored if we messed up and one of the hardest things that I've observed over my years as a pastor is for how can a church have high standards in other words high standards of righteousness morality whatever it is but yet also be loving for people who fall can I tell you that's our tension but that's what we're called to do we're called to present a, a, a scripture that even declares of itself. When scripture says, "Be God said, be holy because I'm holy. But yet when we're left to deal with the mistakes that all of us make, how can I be merciful and reach out and save somebody that messes up? Whether it's a young girl that gets pregnant before she's married, 
whether it's a friend that falls into adultery, whether it's an elder that, whatever the case may be, that's on the front page of the paper for embezzling. I mean, no, I can love you without approving what you've done because I go with the mercy of God. And what God did for others, that's exactly what we want, we want to be done for us. So church, as we close the book of James, may we be a church that boldly declares God's righteous standards, but errs on the side of loving people who've fallen off the wayside and bring them back. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning, and, and we're going to close this, this, our time. Just a few moments in prayer before we go. But let me just say thank you this morning for coming and being a part of our worship service. Um, of course, Wednesday night we're having that hamburger meal at 5.30. You'll learn how to get involved in the fall and all that. A lot of great churches in our town, but I'm honored that you came today. But I want to pause just a second before we go and ask you, what might the Holy Spirit have spoken to, about you, uh, spoken to you about this morning? See, because the goal of, my, uh, uh, of a good sermon is not just to have good information, but it's to be a vessel where the Lord can speak to people and then we adjust our lives. Could you bow your head just a moment and, and I wonder if maybe some of these things that the Lord maybe prompted us. How about the first section when it started where it was a warning to what Christians were doing with their finances, how they were not acting in Christian ways. They had somehow fallen into the the trap of indulgence and luxury at the exclusion of other people. They were hoarders. They took advantage of people that desperately needed money, but for whatever reason, they wouldn't, wouldn't give to them. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want to stand before you recognizing that if our life is like that house, you're the one that brings all the good stuff in the front door. Please, Lord, don't let us ever just hoard it and watch it rut and rust, rust away. Lord, let us be people that have a back door open and a side door and a couple windows to be able to share the goodness of our God. Lord, if there's any that's suffering today, whether it's persecuted for their faith or who knows what it may be, they're, they're taking a stand in their marriage and, or they're taking a stand at work for a principle and they're experiencing some conflict, Lord, I want to pray that you would just help them be patient and not give up doing right as we have expectation that Jesus is coming again. Lord, if any of us have a crisis in our life, some type of sickness or something else, and, and our prayer life has gotten weak, we've kind of grown weary in it. Lord, would you just awaken our faith so we could be strong until the end comes? Come on, slip your hands to heaven if that's you. If, you've, if there's an area of your life where you've just grown weak in your prayer life, Lord, we want to ask you to help make us strong in it again. Lord, that we would be men and women who persist, who don't quit, who don't give up. But, Lord, who walk through this thing. Because, Lord, we know your promise that you're there and you're for us and not against us. And, Lord, I want to pray today for our heart to be a heart of mercy. Never a heart of judgment, but a heart of mercy for people rescuing them that are drowning in the world and bringing them to Christ. I pray particularly for any that may be here today that have just kind of gotten away from God in their own life. Let today be a day that their hearts turn back to you fully and completely. Let's close this way. We're going to have one last song and dismiss, but I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'll come to the front to pray with you. Maybe something in this message, you want to have someone lay their hands on you like the Bible said. Maybe there's a sickness in your life or, or maybe one of these issues that you just struggle with. I don't know what it may be, but if you need prayer for anything, there'll be some people here in a very confidential way that'll take time with you.
most important thing we'd like to pray with you about today is your own relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't even know if I, I died today if I'd go to heaven or hell. And I tell you, friend, you can know. Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago, not because he couldn't outsmart the Romans or Jews, but because he came to be a substitute to take your place and take my place. So when we stand before God on Judgment Day, someone will already have forgiven our sins. This is what Christ came to do. He identified with us as human beings, one hand to earth and one hand to heaven to make a way back to God. And maybe what you're needing in your life is a fresh spiritual start. Maybe you're needing God's forgiveness and to find God's purpose. Well, let me tell you, friends, it can start with a prayer by committing your life to Christ, and it'll be the greatest step you ever made. If that's you, or maybe you're here today and you used to walk with God, but when I talked about the person that was away from God being brought back, my friends, this could be your day as well. But if you're here today, most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, either receiving as Him as His Savior or coming back to Him, when we begin to sing this song, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and make your way over to the cross, and someone will be there to meet you and pray with you as you make the biggest step of your life. But whatever your need is, we're going to start singing one last song. If you need prayer, come to the altar. We'll pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to get right with God, don't let anything stop you. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thank you for coming.